0: coming up, but basically it's from when Jesus is talking about the, the parable of the weeds and the grain, and we separate it at the end of the harvest. There's like, well, there's even this sower sows like good seed, and then they go to sleep and wake up, and they're like, oh no, there's weeds, what do we do? And so we pull them all up, like no, you don't pull them up, actually let the weeds and the grain grow together, right? Um, and, and so I share this because I was like, I'm like Lord, why is this? Because the word He gave me was be ready. Okay, what, are, what are, like, what are we ready? What are we getting ready for? It's like oh, yeah, it's got of flame. Like there's so many things, but it's like be ready. And as I was like praying into this, I think the word, kind of the image also I get is, is you know when you fly and the the flight attendants are like, you know, put the mask on yourself, and then you put, put the mask on next to you. You know what I'm talking about? And I think that's kind of like that's the idea. It's like. Because I've been praying into this, is like I have a lot of weeds in my heart. You know, like I, I have a lot of things that are like kind of growing, and I'm realizing like, man, I there's some things I need to make myself ready. Like, I am I ready to actually like walk with like people? Like, yes, by the grace of God. But actually, there's more things that the Lord like calling out of me that I need to I need to be ready myself before I can like walk with anybody else right, before I can, like, pray with somebody and baptism the Holy Spirit, I need to actually beg for baptism of the Holy Spirit again, like, it doesn't matter how many times you've done it, um, there's, like, those type of things, of, like, am I actually, have I ready my heart, like, am I ready to receive the Lord again, um, and I think, I bring that also now, also, not to, like, lay this like, heavy burden on anyone, but, like, Oh my gosh, you suck. Yeah. But actually, like we're here because we're, we're that's what we're doing. Like, let's make the space in our heart. Um, so, like, Parker's gonna come up and he's gonna give us a talk about like readying us for what's about to come, right? He's he's inviting us deeper. But the Lord is inviting us deeper into something more for our lives. And I don't, I know for me, I, this season can be like, why are we like talking about this now? It's like, well, no, the Lord has something for us here, and I'm. I, I like again. This isn't something This is something the Lord's been speaking to me a lot. It's just like, let's be ready. Like, let's be ready not just for fan and flame, but like, let's be ready for Him to come in March and in April and May in this middle of the summer when we're back. home. Like, let's be ready. The Lord's the Lord's about to work here, um, and so this that's what today's for. That's what this next semester's for. So let's let's make sure that we're actually like. Ridding ourselves so we can actually pull the weeds and actually pull, pull good fruit when, when harvest comes. Amen. Yeah. So let's pack her. Cool. Yeah. Let's pray with our brother yeah. here. Please, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We Come, Holy, you Spirit. Holy, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Amen. 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 Father, we pray for your providence here. We pray for your words um, to fall on, on our ears in a new way, Lord. May we receive your spirit in a new way tonight, Jesus. We pray for, um, for Packer, for what he's going to say, Lord, may it not be him, Lord. May we actually just see you tonight. May we hear you tonight, Lord. And Father, may you just come in power in our hearts again today. And Jesus, may you come in power in the hearts of all those that um, will be with us, at fan in the flame and beyond. Lord, may you just continue to reign as Lord over it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. Can we get those outlines passed out? Yeah. Wow, sick. There they are. Um, good. So, I'll grab this. <laughs> so, uh, there's a tradition in our family for Christmas. Uh, we, we road trip. We, go, we either go to Minnesota or Dallas. And Dallas is a plane, but Minnesota's a car. So we did had, we had a car this year. And um, how the car is kind of situated, Adeline's been in it before. It's a wild time. you um, can just ask her about it. But like, so I'm in front, and uh, we have like our car, we have, a, we have a minivan, and we have two bucket seats, but there's also like a seat in the middle. So we got on the bucket seats in the middle, we got CC right behind me, the driver. We got Roland's car seat in the middle, kind of. Anna's there. Because Cece's at like probably the worst age to road trip with because she's like, she's almost one and actually two days. That's fun. Uh, but she's like, you can't bribe her. She's too young to bribe. And she's also like old enough to know what's going on. And she's like doesn't like it. You know, she like has like opinions. So she's like not happy. So Anna spends a lot of time in the middle seat. And then like in the back, like we have like, there's three seats in the back and you can put two of them down. And like one of them's there with Ellie's car seat. And um, being a girl dad, I'm learning a lot about emotions. And, uh, <laughs> We're driving, and Ellie just starts crying, and, you know, and like Anna's in the middle, like Roland keeps touching her, and it's like annoying. Like Cece's crying, she's trying to get Cece. Like Roland, stop touching me, you know. Because like you touched by a three-year-old incessantly, it kind of wears on you. And uh, she's just crying. We're like, Ellie, why are you crying? She's like, I'm alone, because <laughs> she's like in the back seat by herself. It's like, well, not really. This car's a party, but she feels so alone back there, and it's just really sad. I don't know what to do with it. But we talked about her, and she did better afterwards. But this is uh. This is a story, I guess, another story. Before she was in the backseat, she was in Cece's old seat, so kind of behind the driver's side. And um, we had like automatic doors. And on our doors, there's these like window shades, you know, that like block out the sun. You can like put it up. Well, she was like playing with it one time, and she like, it was up, and she like let it go, and it kind of like dangled. It's supposed to like telescope like back in, but it didn't, and then she like opens the door, and it like kind of like cracks and like tears a little bit. And she just starts like weeping, because it's broken now, it like tore. And she's like distraught. Like, it's okay, Ellie. Like, it like, so goes back in. It's fine. She's like, no, it's not fine. So, no, I no, see, look at it. It's like, no, we need a new car. <laughs> she's like, I've nothing to do with it. And I was thinking about it. There's, there's something actually good about that. There's something that I think we all maybe can, we don't want just like a car that's like fixed. We want like, we want something that's like totally whole and totally good, right? Not just like little patchwork, like slap a bandaid on it, like, it's not okay. It's broken. It needs to be totally new. So that's what we're going to talk about with our hearts today. You guys ready for that? Yeah. Oh, look at that. didn't think I'd segue that. Um, so disclaimer, we're going to bite off a little more we can chew, but we're just going to go for it anyways. You guys cool with that? All right, here we go. So we're going to start with... Um, uh, we talk like the, the old covenant to the new covenant and the interplay between these two. This is sort of, this is like, we're going to get a little theological, a little dense, but your college students, and I think it's really helpful for us to kind of dive into like what theologically, scripturally, what are we talking about here? We talk about going into Fan of Flame and get us a good grounding, good backing together. So um, what is a covenant? On your sheet there, um, you can say lots of things, but two things that can be said is that a covenant has two parts. It is permanent and divine. A covenant is something between two people that is permanent and divine. So it's bigger than a contract, and it's deeper than just a promise, right? It's a covenant. Um, So if you recall, in the Old Testament, God makes a series of covenants with different people. And it's cool because they kind of start small and get bigger, okay? So you start with Adam and Eve. He makes a covenant with them, right? Be fruitful, multiply. That's between a couple, two people. And then he makes a covenant with Noah right, to never flood the earth again, like, and in that, he does a family, a little bit bigger. Next covenant is with Abraham, which is more like a tribe, because Abraham has, like, a posse, you know, it's not just Abraham, he's, he's a wealthy man, and then we have Moses, right, with a people, the Israelite people, right, and then we have David, kind of going with, like, a nation, right, a little bigger than Jesus, which encompasses the whole world, pretty cool, right, like a series, you kind of see how, what God's doing here, he's going, a little, he's, like, he's restoring us, to our original goodness, to the original experience of being with the Father in the garden and walking with him, right, like step by step. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. So when, when we refer to the old covenant, though, what we're talking about is we're talking about Moses, right, specifically the covenant made at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, right? You got me in that? So, yeah, Sinai, represent. That's good. You guys, I got some stuff for you later on that. Um, so we know the old covenant, we know that God rescued the Israelites, right, from who? The Egyptians, right? He rescued them. He brought them out of, the, out of that land. He led them visibly with the column of fire, right? The pillar of cloud. And then he brought them through the Red Sea where they saw their enemies destroyed. And then he worked a series of miracles like he brought manna from heaven. He brought water from the rock. Um, he, he provided for them miraculously. And then he brought them to Mount Sinai, like the holy mountain of God, a place where God was uh, very tangibly and powerfully present. And it was there that the mountain like erupted basically in like fire and smoke and like shook and they heard like trumpets and it was crazy. And that's where God spoke to them and said like, you are my people, I am your God. Like let's, I have a covenant for you. That's when the 10 commandments came. Like, this is your part. My part is you are my people, holy nation, and I will never leave you. Let's do this thing. And they're like, we will do what you say, Lord. We're in. That's what happened on Sinai. It's a pretty powerful scene. Um, And what's really cool is that, you know, we're talking about new life in the Spirit. We're talking about, like, really Pentecost, the experience of, like, God coming down. And that, that experience of, like, the New Testament Pentecost actually is linked to an Old Testament feast that has to do with what we just talked about. And it's in your, it's in your outline there. It says, Pentecost in the Old Testament, and thus the Jewish tradition, is the second of the three major festivals which celebrates the giving of the Torah, the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments, on Mount Sinai to Moses and the Israelites. So the period, this is really cool, between Passover, what's, what's the New Testament version of Passover? Easter. Easter. Yeah, the New Testament version of Passover, right? It's like passing over, Jesus like, celebrated the Passover, and then like he was the Paschal Lamb, right? You know that? You guys, you guys, you guys vibrate with me? And then but the period between Pentecost, or Passover and Pentecost is a time of great anticipation. It is actually 50 days after Passover. Interesting. Seeing some parallels here, maybe. When is, when is Pentecost in the church after Easter. Fifty days. What? So there's something something we should pay attention to here. God's not doing this by accident. So the, this counting reminds us of the important connection between Passover and Pentecost because Passover freed us physically of bondage, but the given the Torah on Pentecost redeemed us spiritually from a bondage to idolatry and morality. Pretty good stuff, right? There's a lot to unpack there. And like in the Old Testament, this happened. This happened, but in, in an imperfect way, right? Because their bondage was just physical, right? He took them out of physical bondage, right, to the desert, right. And then he redeemed them spiritually by giving them like the law, right? Saying you're you're free if you do this. That was that was it. Like you're my people, but you got to do this, right? This is that's the that's the deal. Um, so, how is this redeemed in the in the New Testament? So, I'll say this: Sinai, guys. It's 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 kind of it's not talked about enough, but it's a big deal. Like, this was the first time in history that God, the creator of the universe, like, picked a nation, a people, and was like, I'm ride or die with you guys. He didn't pick the Babylonians. He didn't pick, like, the Persians. He didn't pick these massive empires. He picked this kind of dinky nation that was enslaved in Egypt, right? And he was like, I'm in. I'm all in with these guys. And he showed himself in a powerful way, provided them in a powerful way, incredible ways, unbelievable ways. Like, if we saw that now, uh, I don't know what would happen. But there's really two important things to point out here of how he did this, okay? Like, how the Lord, because the Lord is very intentional, right? He's not doing this by accident. Like, everything he does is pretty calculated. He's trying to reveal more of himself to us, right? And this is the first time, I guess you could say in a very major way, God, the creator of the universe, who we know now, now know as Father, started to reveal himself as such to a people. And the first is the Lord's saving action. It's on your outline there. The Lord's saving action. This is in Exodus 19, he says, you have seen what I did and how I brought you to myself. So it was the Lord that delivered them and they experienced. So he was the one who initiated, right? He was the one who went first. He was the one who like, they didn't make this up. They didn't conjure it up. They didn't pray enough to make it happen. The Lord chose and initiated out of his sheer goodness and grace. The second one is us. There's something about a communal reality, an us, a we In this, the Lord saved them, a people, so that they could be a people, so they could be set apart, so they could have a particular way of life, so they could live in a particular relationship with him and thus bring that into the world. They could be freed from their idolatry and their immorality so that actually they could be transformed by his grace, his love as a people. Right? It was a very communal reality. So again, in order to make a people, the Lord planned to make a covenant with them. In order to make a people, the Lord planned to make a covenant to free, free them from bondage and idols and immorality so that they would be free for a relationship with him. That's in your outline. So the Lord planned to make a covenant with them to free from bondage and idols and immorality so that they would be free for a relationship with him. You guys track with me? Free from idols so they can be free for a relationship with him. So um, again, the Lord, would, the Lord would do his thing. He would say... You would be my own possession among all the peoples. I will be your God and you will be my people. And describing the people they were to be, this new nation the Lord spoke of, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Israelites would, in other words, be a people who would worship him because they would know him for who he is and belong to him as their God. A people who would worship him properly because they would, they would actually know who he is. Right? And so worship is an expression of this true relationship with God. It's a really important concept, actually. Like, we can worship what we don't know. Even Jesus talks about this to the Samaritan woman at the well, right? Who went the well. But we, we worship what we know because God has revealed himself to us. So worship expresses our true relationship with God. And when we praise God, it's like we, it's like we open a window. You know, it doesn't change God at all, but it changes us. It's this powerful gift the Lord gives us. So... Um, Recap, you guys, you guys following me so far? Sinai important, God saved the people, made a covenant with them so they could be free from idolatry, free for relationship with them, so they could be his own people, right? Um, so again, on the day of OG Pentecost, like Old Testament Pentecost, um, God established his relationship with his people. His relationship was covenantal, it was corporate, and it was this committed relationship with a body of people. And it, it involved how they lived their ongoing lives, like the Ten Commandments, so, it's important to say that redemption of the people was not just an end in it itself. God wasn't like, I'm going to set you free and then go do it. But there was something about how they were to live as his people. It was supposed to be expressed in a way of life, you could say. And that was very ingrained. That's why even the Jewish talking about, literally talking about them being very cultural. The, cultural. the culture is so strong because it had this way of life for really millennia, right? It is very well established. Um, even if it is kind of luster, some groups lost its luster, it still like holds together like thousands of years later, which is actually kind of impressive. Um, So God wants to draw close to us. He wants us to come to know him as he really is and thus to live as his people and offer him true worship. But there's a problem, right? There's a a but in here. The Israelites, they blew it, right? The Israelites, they didn't hold up their, their their, their part of the bargain. And obviously, there was actually in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant law, there was provision for sin. Like God knew they wouldn't be perfect. So there was like, cleansing. But what he couldn't tolerate was the idolatry, was a systematic and continual choosing of other idols and worshiping those. the God that was basically them cutting him off, right? And he couldn't, he couldn't, it couldn't work. Like, he knew that that had to change and he had to, he had to come down kind of hard on him because, again, they didn't have the full revelation at this time. Um, So, so we know that the temple was destroyed. They were carried off to Babylon. Um, They were deprived of the land of their inheritance, right, the promised land that was promised to them. They lost because they started worshiping idols, right? And they lived in a kind of slavery similar to the slavery of Egypt that had been delivered from. So the problem at the time was that the law was written on tablets. It was written on stone, right? The The law, the Ten Commandments, was written on stone. It was exterior. No matter how hard they tried, they couldn't fulfill their side of the bargain, No matter how hard they tried, they couldn't quite live up to the covenant the Lord had made with them. They fell short. And brothers and sisters, this is kind of our story, right? Like we fall short of living the glorious inheritance that's been promised to us, right? We fall short of living a life in the spirit. We fall short of loving our brothers. We fall short of loving our God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. We fall short of loving our God, you know, God above all things and neighbors ourselves. We fall short, Right? Um, we don't hold up, quote-unquote, our end of the bargain. Um, sin separates us from God. These idols we put before him actually cloud our relationship with him and actually steal our hearts and our affections. They make our life more chaotic. They make things more difficult. They make us lash out at other people. They make us doubt God and take control of our own lives. Like, all these things are operating in us. Amen? Amen. We, can all, we can all know that. And there's, there's addictions that come with that, right? There's things we turn to that we think will help. There's ways we want to control we think will help, but they never do. So... Um, I wrote down this. This is a thought experiment. I don't know if this will work, but I'll say it anyways. So Matt, think of it this way, if you were like babysitting like this five-year-old kid, okay, and you wanted to have like some kind of like helpful relationship with them, right, in an ongoing way, maybe it's a niece or a nephew, right, um, so you're there, you're hanging out with them, would, it, would, it be, would you have a relationship with them if they just like looked at the phone or watched TV the entire time and never looked up? No, it wouldn't work very well. It wouldn't be much of a relationship. You'd be blocked out. But what if they gossip all the time and they knew you didn't approve of gossip, so they thought you were some tyrant or prude, so they just ran away from you? Would that work? Relationship with them? No. What if they didn't trust you and wouldn't listen to anything you said? No relationship happening there. What if they thought they were all high and mighty, they wanted to do, and all they wanted to do was control every situation, and never let you talk because they believed they knew more than you? No relationship is possible. So it's in some ways, at times, we are that kid with the Lord, right? We kind of, we run. We think he's some kind of tyrant. We think he's wrong. We think he doesn't know. We think, we just kind of run from him at times. Or we block him out. So problem is, we lack true knowledge of the Lord. We, brothers and sisters, we lack true knowledge of the Lord. Because it's not just like, as much as we try to read, much as you've prayed, as much as you've studied, as much as you like, you've heard all these things, we still sometimes believe that the Lord doesn't have our back. Right? We still believe sometimes that he wants to take away the good things in my life. That if I offer to him, maybe my life will be like less than. If, and if I just like figure it out myself. We think that if I sacrifice, I'll get burned. Right? We think that God hates fun. You just heard that. That was probably pre-conversion me, but that was a thought I had at the gym at thought. We act like we know better than the Lord. We act like, ah, community is too messy. It's not for me. I can't handle this thing right now. I need to go do this on my own. I don't think it's Uh, Yeah, just you and me, God. We think that um, he'll give me something that maybe is too much for me to handle. So I just, like, I can't give too much because I might get that crazy thing that I don't know how to do with, so I just need to, like, stay in control. Um, We think that maybe he'll abandon us, right? That our father, he can't really deal with what's going on in me, so I just need to hide and figure it out for myself. Ultimately, we hear that the Lord isn't enough. And what's interesting and what's really fascinating about all this is it goes back to the garden, to the original lie of what the serpent said to the woman, which he questioned her with the question, did God really say? Did God really say? And that question is loaded. It's loaded with this, like, what we're saying there is he's sowing doubt in who God had revealed himself to be. His goodness, his fatherliness, his, his faithfulness, right, his power. But did God really say did God really say He's faithful? Is he, can did God really say He's going to have your back in the situation? It's probably just your fault. You should probably, like you know, do it on your own. But did God really say this is the very lie of the fall, and it's still on our minds? It still affects us to this day, and our lack of knowledge it plays out in our life. The fruit of it is sin, its separation, it's disconnected from our divine origin and our destiny with Him forever. So again, in our confusion, we run. We choose control over surrender. We choose idols over the Lord. We choose the worship of creatures above worship of the creator. We choose the shadows instead of the light. We choose comfort instead of purpose. We choose radical individualism instead of heroism. Security of our plan over the prospect of a real adventure. We choose a false idea of freedom over the blissful realization of how much we are loved. And thus is the entire range of human suffering. It's this. It's, it's seen in the garden. It says, turn away from who God is to do it on my own. So you see the Ten Commandments. They didn't change our heart in a permanent way. They gave us what we should do. This is what Paul talks about with the law. The law shows us that we fall short, right? And the law was, it had its purpose, and it's good because if we did it, we could like, actually like, be in relationship with the Lord, but we, we fall short. Um, our, they gave us a map, but our hearts betrayed us. So what is the Lord's answer? to this problem. He had an answer the whole time. This is in your outlines too. It is Ezekiel 36. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Brothers and sisters, this was written way before Jesus. I talk about calling your shot. This guy was, Ezekiel knew what was happening. Um, When the Israelites read this and they're hearing stone, what do you think they're thinking of? Ten Commandments. Like, stone, that's the most important stone to them, right? That is the base of the covenant. And they see, like, I will take from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, right? Flesh. And, like, what, we hear flesh, too, in Genesis. Like, what does Adam say when he sees Eve? Like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's this like, intimacy in that word, right? There's this power in this word. There's this connection in this word that when people read that for the first time, they probably didn't even understand what it could possibly mean. But it was setting up a whole new paradigm, a whole new way that God wanted to work in and through his people, right? To actually bring them together, to have them live in his, in his delight, in his, in his law, in his life. So the Lord promises that he would change us interiorly by putting his spirit within us. So instead of like us, not, us like not measuring up, instead of him like coming down harder on us, he says, actually, I got a better idea. I'm going to come. I'm going to put my spirit within you not just tell you about it but i'm going to put it inside of you that you would actually be moved to follow these decrees that your heart would desire to worship that your heart would desire to pray desire to read about me desire to be in communion in relationship with me that it actually would move you in that direction and that's how we're going to do this thing from now on what a tremendous gift right so this is what we're talking about this is we talk about baptism of the Holy spirit this is fundamentally what it is and what it's connected to. We're going to keep diving into it, but I just want to put a little bookmark there, and this is what we're talking about. So this would make this covenantal relationship different and more successful, because God, again, is changing hearts and thus changing minds interiorly. They would know his voice and be inclined to follow him, to live as his people. Then God himself, again, the same way he initiated with the Israelites, he would initiate this transaction. We give him our hearts of stone that are getting us nowhere. He gives us a heart of flesh, his very own heart in exchange. It's a pretty good deal. Not going to find that anywhere else. So, this is again the fulfillment of the Old Testament Pentecost, right? So the Old Testament Pentecost, law, relationship, covenant. The New Testament Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit fell, when God made his home in the the world, in men and women's hearts, right? And moved them to follow him. So, where before what fell short, God completed and made new. Amen? It's pretty good news. So, this is what happens in baptism and confirmation, all that we just talked about, the coming of the Spirit, the adoption to God's family, the springly of clean water, which cleanses us from original sin, the graces to know God and live a victorious Christian life. Um, but here's the thing, um, we were all baptized, right? All baptized, all confirmed. Um, but why don't we experience all of these effects? Why don't we have this, like, why, don't, why isn't everyone who's baptized on campus, like, know God's voice, why does everyone on campus like, want to pray and have a desire to like, lay down their life for others? Why don't they have that? Well, because it can be dormant. Um, this is actually, I think it's in your outline too. This is, uh, this is Father Cantor La Mesa. This is part, I'm going to read the whole quote here, but you have a chunk of it there. It says, the baptism in the spirit is not a sacrament. I will repeat, the baptism in the spirit is not a sacrament, right? Repeat after me. The baptism in the spirit is not a sacrament. Good. It's important, but it is related to several sacraments. It is related to several sacraments. The baptism spirit makes real and in a way renews Christian initiation. So at the beginning of the church, right, like early days, like, you know, kind of after Pentecost, baptism was administered to adults who converted from paganism and who made on the occasion of baptism an act of faith and a free and mature choice, right? So today, this baptism is, is, is substituted instead by intermediary parents or godparents. That's just how we do it today, right? And in this situation, rarely or never does the baptized person ever reach the stage of proclaiming in the Holy Spirit, Jesus is Lord. And until one reaches this point, everything else in the Christian life remains out of focus and immature, just like Emily was talking about. It was a great testimony to this reality. Miracles no longer happen, and we experience what Jesus did in Nazareth. Quote, Jesus could not perform many, many miracles because of their lack of faith. The baptism in the Spirit Spirit's effectiveness in reactivating baptism consists in this. Man finally contributes contributes his part. Man contributes his part. Namely, he makes a choice of faith, prepared in repentance that allows the work of God to set itself free and emanate all its strength. It is as if the plug is pulled and the light is switched on. The gift of God is finally untied and the Spirit is allowed to flow like a fragrance in the Christian life. So, the Lord in his infinite goodness realizes... Our situation in the church today, there's a lot of men and women walking around who never really had an opportunity to declare Jesus the Lord of the life and the power of the Holy Spirit. So in the 60s, there started to be this grace, this grace of in the Catholic church, this renewal in the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you want to call it, it doesn't really matter what you call it. Um, but it's this powerful encounter with the Lord. And we use that word a lot, encounter. Encounter is an important word because I can encounter, like, Sometimes we think encounter and emotions go with it. That is true. It's oftentimes that happens. It doesn't necessarily happen. But I can encounter, like, if I encounter, like, the Johannes, right? Like, I encounter them. I, like, his parents, Peter and his parents, I, like, shake their hands. And I've maybe I've heard about them before. They've talked about them. Yeah, they're great people. They're very good kids. But I shake their hands. And now I've encountered them in a whole new way. And now I can, like, talk about them in a whole new way. I can experience them in a whole new way. And I can relate with them in a whole new way. And so when we talk about encounter, that's fundamentally what we're talking about is this experience of a living person that now I can talk about them in a whole new way. I can know them in a whole new way and things are just different because it's more personal. It's, contact has been made. So the Lord started about this grace all over the Catholic Church. Like literally hundreds and millions of people have experienced it. It's not just a niche thing. Like hundreds of millions of people have experienced this renewal in the Holy Spirit, this, this deeper encounter with God's love that's like flooded all over the world and it's something no one really saw coming. Like, no pope planned it. It wasn't a strategic plan. It was just God in his infinite creativity seeing the signs of our time, seeing all the people around, and just, like, flooding his grace into the world here and now, right? Um, so, again, this is God's action. It wasn't planned. It's not like SPO plans it either. We don't, we don't have There's no copyright. There's no trademark on the content of Fan of Flame. Right? It is the gospel and it is the truth of scripture that we are offering to people to respond to Jesus being Lord of their lives and receiving new life in the spirit. Amen? Amen. It's not an SPO thing. So the renewal um, is a renewal in which God, this is Cantilmese again, the renewal is a renewal in which God, not man, is the principal author. He says, I, not you, says God, make all things new. I love that. God says, I, not you, make all things new. My spirit and he alone may renew the face of the earth. It is God's spirit that will do it. It is God that will do it, and he is doing it. Amen. So from a religious point of view, we tend to view things from a Potomac perspective. So what that means is like kind of earth-centric, right? So us-centric. So basically our lives, especially in America, we can be like, well, at the foundation, there's like what I do. Like my life is made up of like what I do and what I put in. So my organization, my efficiency, my reforms, my goodwill, I'm gonna fix the church, I'm gonna fix my life, I'm gonna fix this crappy SPO chapter, I'm gonna fix everything else that's going on in this campus, and it's gonna be me who does it. But that is actually fundamentally flawed. It's fundamentally off-center. Because again, this is the equivalent of us thinking the Earth is at the the center of the universe. When actual, it is the sun. It is God, well, of our solar system, I should say. But you know, of our solar system, right, It it is the sun, who is at the center of our experience, The son who's the center of reality. So we must at this point, at this point, the word of God cries out, give the power back to God. I kind of propose this as a rallying cry as we approach Fan of Flame. Give the power back to God. If you want someone to come on Fan of Flame, surrender your words. Surrender your clever strategies and say, Jesus, you got to do it. And then we step in and then we talk knowing, Lord, you're going to have to do it. Because if it's just up to me and my rhetoric, this is not going to work. I can't twist enough arms to make people come out to a treat. But Lord, you can stir hearts. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Give the power back to God. Because the power actually belongs to him. right? So for too long we have usurped this power, his, this power of his from God by managing it as if it were ours. As if it was up to us to govern the power of God. We have to totally change our perspective. That is, to acknowledge simply that without the Holy Spirit... We cannot do anything, not even say Jesus is Lord. Amen. That's good stuff. So what is baptism in the Holy Spirit? Um, so through baptism in the Holy Spirit, this Pentecost reality is made present and alive in the church today. The covenant to be God's own people, um, to be in relationship with them, is made possible by his action, his filling, his spirit. So to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you could say, this is, it says here, to be filled with the love of, that eternally flows between the Father, Son, and the Holy Trinity. A love that changes people at the deepest levels of their being and makes them capable of loving God in return. It's an encounter with the very Trinitarian love at the heart of who God is. Amen? That's it. So the love of the Trinity is actually poured into our hearts. We've we've experienced him. We encounter him. We see him um, in a way. So the Trinity is this communion of persons. So by its very nature, nature, it's a communal grace. It's a grace rooted in the very heart of God's saving intervention in human history. We love, we see that though, especially in Acts, when they, were, when they experienced the Spirit in Acts of the Apostles, they naturally desired to meet together even more, right? This way of life spontaneously erupted. Read in Acts 2.42, right? This, this, it describes this, the way of life that the apostles, the apostles lived with people around them. This erupted out of this experience, this encounter with God, right? And it was communal. And it was based on this love for one another, this love of God that poured out into love for one another. We see the fulfillment of Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Brothers collectively. And it says too in Acts 4, Now the company of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Now the company of those who believed were one heart and soul. So this life of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, this changes us on an interior level, Right? People begin to know by experience that the Holy Spirit is with them. And I think I wrote this list down on there. It's, it's an awesome list of just, just some of the ways we see um, God working after people ex- encounter him, experience him in the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a new way. They begin to praise God and worship him with a new freedom. Emily testified to that earlier. Right? This new freedom in worship is unlocked. They experience scripture coming alive. Like the same spirit that wrote the scripture is the one speaking to them and teaching them in their hearts. Is dwelling within them. So it's like resonating in a whole new way. Christian doctrine makes sense. Far from rules that are arbitrary, they, we see them as this holistic picture to bring about human flourishing, right? We see how it all makes sense. Um, they don't come from a tyrant. They come from a loving father. That makes sense to us for the first time. They experience a new ability to talk to people about Christ. This witness becomes natural. That the girl that Lily was talking about, she experienced a living God. She was like, Mom, we're not hiding anymore. Like, this is reality, this is what's real, and we need to testify to the truth because he's changing my life. That's what she said. They experience a deeper peace, a deeper joy, right? They experience a new understanding of community life. Like, giving my life to brothers and sisters makes sense because they, I, I see the same Lord that's drawing in me inside them, and I want to do it together, and we're going somewhere together. They are drawn to being a part of a people and being formed in the body of Christ they experience the Holy Spirit leading the community in worship, being guided by the Spirit, and being taught by the Spirit. And in short, they experience the reality, the fullness of what the church is. Right? This is how God is building his church. Amen? This is, this is, this is the plan. So the popes earnestly pray for New Pentecost. Um, they saw what we're up against in our culture and the impossibility of this progress without God's power. So this is John Paul II speaking um, in the 80s. Actually, no, this is early 90s. Um, St. John Paul II. Um, he, he welcomes a bunch of people on the 25th anniversary, the beginning of the renewal. Um, I willingly join you in giving praise to God for the many fruits which it has borne in the life of the church. Again, this is St. John, Pope John Paul II. It says, the emergence of the renewal following the Second Vatican Council was a particular gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. And this is on your outlines. It was a sign of a desire on the part of many Catholics to live more fully their baptismal dignity and vocation as adopted sons and daughters of the Father to know the redeeming power of Christ our Savior in a more intense experience of individual and group prayer and to follow the teaching of the scriptures by reading them in the light of the same spirit who inspired their writing. Certainly, one of the most important results of the spiritual reawakening has been that increased thirst for holiness, which is seen in the lives of individuals and in the whole church. So he says, at the end of the second millennium, I don't know what's it's on your outlines, but at the end of the second, the second millennium, the church needs more than ever to turn in confidence and hope to the Holy Spirit who unceasingly draws believers into the Trinitarian communion of love, builds up their visible unity in the one body of Christ and sends them forth on mission in obedience to the mandate entrusted to the apostles by the risen Christ. I love this because he talks about holiness, community, mission. He says, "Um, turn to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he draws us into Trinitarian love, into holiness, into his very self, right? He, He builds up our visible unity communion, right, with one another. This unity of heart and mind. And he sends us out on mission, right, to be witnesses, holiness, communion, mission. The Holy Spirit accomplishes this, this in us. And the Spirit frees us from our idols, our addictions, our shame, our running, our hiding, our control. The Spirit empowers us to live a victorious Christian life. Um, so these are, yeah, these are four ways I'm going to, I guess, I explicitly talk about the effects of the Holy Spirit in a more maybe theological way, you could say. The Spirit frees us from idols, addictions, or shame. And the Spirit empowers us to live this victorious Christian life and shows us what it means that Jesus truly is Lord of our lives and of all things. Theologically speaking, it's an actualization of the sacraments of initiation, a quote, fanning into flame, the gift already received in baptism and confirmation. We talked about that, but it's it's built on the sacraments of initiation. It's not a new work. It's a revitalization of the work that the Lord already did in our baptism and confirmation, right? It's like the chocolate milk thing, right? The grace is already there. This is God just stirring it up and making it alive and active in our lives. It may also be seen as the gift of God coming in a new way into a person's life and bestowing new gifts. We'll get to that um, probably next time but these gifts, these charisms, this full release of the Spirit and its charisms. So yes, supernatural with like tongues, prophecy, healing, all those, but also these gifts to actually live out our mission. And it says here that especially in preparation for a new mission or task to which God is calling them, he equips us in a powerful way for that. And for you, particularly, to be witnesses on campus. So when we encounter the great baptism of the Holy Spirit, we know that He is equipping us to be missionaries, to be witnesses on our campus through the Holy Spirit. It's also seen as this revelation of the Father's love and the truth that Jesus is Lord. It is a surrender to Jesus' Lordship through the Holy Spirit so that one is increasingly led by the Spirit of God. It's a revelation of the Father's love. Good. Um, so I got more quotes here, but I think we're kind of getting it. Um, this is a great quote. There's one more from the church here from Lumen Gentium, which is one of the key documents of Vatican II. It's on your outline. It says, Whenever the Spirit intervenes, he leaves people astonished. Who's experienced that before? Whenever the Spirit intervenes, he leaves people astonished. He brings about events of amazing newness. He radically changes persons in history. This was the unforgettable experience of the Second Vatican Ecumenical Council during which, under the guidance of that same Spirit, the Church rediscovered the charismatic dimension as one of her constitutive elements. It is not only through the sacraments and ministrations of the Church that the Holy Spirit makes holy the people, leads them and enriches them with his virtues, allotting his gifts according as he wills. He also distributes special graces among the faithful of every rank. The institutional and charismatic aspects are coessential, as it were, to the church's constitution. There's a great description for us as how this is, what we're talking about, again, is positioned at the very heart of our experience of our life as Christians. Um, so... Yeah, we're gonna worship. I think they quoted Lumen Gentium. I wonder, it is twelve. So that's that's that last quote is actually from Lumen Gentium. Um, yep. So we're gonna, we're gonna land the plane here. Um, so the actually the OG Pentecost feast was a harvest festival. And what that means is people would bring their first fruits and they would sacrifice, um, offer their first fruits to the Lord in sacrifice as part of the celebration of the giving of the law on Sinai. So this in itself is, is, a, is a roadmap for us. It's a, it's a model for us to understand that we're talking about the, the New Testament Pentecost, the, the, the fulfillment of it all. There is an element of sacrifice here. And what is being sacrificed it's, it's our very lives. It's our yes to the Lord. Because when we say Jesus is Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit, that means like, God, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm going where you're going. I'm in for what you're in for. Right? I'm, we're, we're doing this thing together. And this sacrifice, I mean, that's why we talk about like, it's, it's a continual baptism of the Holy Spirit. It can be a, like, sometimes when it happens for the first time, it can be more memorable or like experientially. But it's something that continually is ongoing in our lives because God is not exhausted by one encounter with him. Amen? Amen. Called to encounter him every day, Pope Francis says. A new encounter with him every day. Um, But there's this element that what we bring to him is our poverty. What we bring to him is like, God, if it's just me, it's not going to work out well. God, my heart is stone. actually. I can't love these housemates around me. Lord, I can't be on mission on this campus. Lord, I don't even know what to say. I can't get these people to sign for this retreat. Lord, I can't. But you can. So I'm going to let you. Like, Please, Lord, do it. And that is our sacrifice. It's a pretty good exchange. We, take, we give him our poverty. He gives us his divinity. And so what's at the core of all this, what I want to kind of leave us on today is this concept of surrender. Um, Father Emmanuel had this sick line in his sin that really stuck with me. He was like, so the apostles gathered in the upper room with Mary. He was like, Mary was the first retreat director. <laughs> because they were there for like, like a, probably I think a week or so. And Mary was just teaching them what it means to surrender to the Lord. She got it. Mary had her Mary was so good at it, in fact, that she didn't just like receive the Holy Spirit in her heart. She was impregnated through the Holy Spirit. She was pretty open. She gets how it works. Right? And she taught the apostles how to be open, how to surrender, right? And so true for us, brothers and sisters, when we're talking about this, it's it's like everything that has to do with this retreat is one of surrender. It's one of tearing down our idols. Lord, I don't want to look at this anymore. Lord, this isn't the thing I want. I want you. And I cast this before you right now. Lord, I don't want to control my own life. My plan that I kind of made on my own, I'm just going to slide it across the table. It's yours now. What do you, what do you have for me, God? Maybe it is the same thing. He'll give it back to us, right? But we got to give it to him first or else we like never let go of it in the first place, right? Um, like to know, to trust is what we're surrendering to is we're surrendering to the fact that the, the, like the Father loves us. The Father is faithful. It's the opposite of the garden. Did God really say? What we answered to the serpent is, yes, he did say he's faithful. So I'm going to live like he's faithful. Like, come Holy Spirit, give me the strength. Like, God said he is love. So I'm going to trust he has my back no matter what. Like, God said he's with me to the end of the age. So I'm gonna, like, God, I'm, I'm in for that. Fill me with your spirit and let's make this possible. Right, and this is the surrender that is key and core to all this. So when we worship, brothers and sisters, this this posture of surrender is the first, and repentance is kind of tied to that. Right, we surrender, repent, and then that's when the Lord can fill. And even like when we talk about spiritual gifts, which we'll get to later, um, I think next time, but it is this like surrendering of our tongue to the Lord in worship. It's a surrender of what people might think of me. Like, you know, the first time you raise your arms, you're probably scared. But, like, at a certain point, you're just like, I don't care if I look stupid. God, you're worth it. That's just a tiny act of surrender. And how, who felt, like, the rush of God when we finally let go of what people think and said, God, I just want to praise you no matter what, right? That's Nick Redd's testimony, if you've ever heard. It's a pretty funny one. Um, but, uh, like, that is, that, that surrender is tied to all of this. And that's what Mary wants to teach us Just as she taught the apostles before they received the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to surrender my life, my will to the Lord, so that I can be filled with him and become his disciple in a more real and full way? Good. So, yeah. uh, Move chairs out? You want to wrap up? You should wrap up. Emily, any thoughts? Cool. Yeah. I just, yeah, give him a hand.